the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. Hey everyone, I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. And this is the We Get Real AF podcast, a safe and inclusive place where we redefine feminism and bridge cultural gaps with each episode. We talk with female leaders about things that matter to you most, your health, finances, raising kids, building your career, everyday life, and so much more. Plus, we take a look at how emerging tech and science are shaping our future. Not a coder or a rocket scientist, neither are we. We will spark your curiosity and give you practical advice for living your best life in a world that's changing at lightning speed. Let's learn together. Join us every Tuesday for smart, real, and relatable conversations. And subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find at We Get Real AF across all social media platforms for exclusive online video content. So grab a coffee, set your intentions, and let's dive in. Welcome to Tech Talk. And here's what's going on in the world of tech and science. Okay, so Apple, for the first time ever, is going to allow on their Apple iOS 15 users to hide their email address from marketers, uh, which would prevent marketers from tracking their open rates via IP address and pixels and all the things. Um, So no geo tracking and all that. So that's a plus. However, this also means that advertisers are going to get a little more aggressive. (laughs) They're going to want to get your phone number to send you text messages. And something interesting, Sue, that you and I had just spoken about, it seems like literally Literally yesterday, is that with new forms that I've been filling out, especially for our business, et cetera, it doesn't just ask for our email address. It asks me for your social media handle. Like, where can we find you on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn? On so it literally asks for all of these URLs. And it just makes me wonder is that the They're new coming thing? For us. <laughs> yeah. Is that the new thing? Like, because I think you had mentioned, and I think this is where the conversation went and you mentioned, you know, you don't even look at the emails, right? Like they come in, most of them are junk. And like I mentioned then, Hey, I even have a separate email address for my junk. And then I created a new email address. Well, that now is my second junk and now I have a new email address. Right. I know. So now this is the thing. Like, I, I wonder if we're going to start getting, discrete messages from advertisers and our Instagram messages or our Facebook messages or wherever you live or engage online. Yeah, no, I think, I think we'll definitely be getting DMs. And I, I know that the journal that I read about this iOS 15 update, hide my email did say, you know, to marketers, it was directed to marketers saying, you need to go after text messages. Do you need to get people's phone numbers? Now you need to offer them a separate discount for tech, for providing their text information, then you give them for providing their email information because it's going to be harder to get email. So all that to say, they're, they're coming after us and I don't open any of those advertising emails, not because I don't like the brands, but just because I get so many now. And I'm, I dread the idea of having my phone blowing up with text messages. So just put that on your radar, folks, that advertisers are going to be looking for your cell phone number now so they can shoot you text messages to yeah. sell you all their goods. Have you started receiving those? I've started receiving those and mm-hmm. I've literally get them. I don't even click, like I, I swipe to the left and I'm able to just delete it. So I'm hoping that that at least helps, like not mm -hmm. actually engaging and clicking on it, but I don't know. I think you can type in stop, literally just type in the word S-T-O-P and they have to remove you Mm, from text message advertising. So that's what I've been doing. Cause yeah, I I get them. And I, again, I get them from brands that I like and that I shop with and yeah, I would like a discount, but to me having the peace of mind of not always getting texts and thinking it's one of my kids and it turns out that it's, you know some store. Exactly. It's not worth 15% off whatever I don't need at that moment in time anyway. So yeah. Well, I will be texting stop. Well, let's go back in time (laughs) for our next tech topic to the seventies and the Swedish pop group ABBA. I don't know who else out there loves ABBA. I think I I hear angel singing in the back because you said (laughs) ABBA. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it just make you want to break out in song? Watch out, oh, everybody. We may do that. <laughs> I love it. So they are reuniting after 40 years of being apart. And this includes uh, 
folks tried to get them back together in 2000. They refused a $1 billion, that is with a B, dollar deal to perform 100 shows back then um, and said, we're probably not going to ever get back together again. Well, times have changed. They are getting back together, sort of, kind of. They have just released a new album. It is called Voyage. And what's really cool about this and what's the tech angle of it is that they are going to be doing a concert of their new album, but it's not really them. <laughs> it is their virtual avatars. The um, special effects company, London-based, called Industrial Light and Magic, has recreated the group ABBA at their prime in 1979. They created 3D volumetric ABBA members, and you can go see their concert in London, but it won't be them. It'll be their avatars singing their songs to you. Is that cool or is that weird? <laughs> sign me up. Anything ABBA, just <laughs> sign me up. I love... Oh, so first of all, you said, let's go back in time. I'm like, do you really have to go back in time? I still blast ABBA in my house. My, like, we love it. My daughter loves it. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I think they're they're magical in general. Like, I mean, anytime that we want to talk about Avis on the show, I'm game. So I'm just going to put that out there. But this is really interesting. And yeah, like who says no to like doing a hundred shows when you're ABBA for a billion dollars? Well, yeah, like you, yeah. At, this, at that point, you just don't even need the money. That's always like giving the finger, right? It's like, eh, Vanessa no. and I can do a cover of ABBA songs <laughs> and we'll only charge a hundred million. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, this is really interesting and it kind of ties into, um, soon I sent you the link as soon as you sent this interesting article over about ABBA that Fox has a new singing competition called Alter Ego. Um, and I think, I believe it launched the end of September. But basically, it takes a spin on the singing competition like an American Idol, um, where aspiring singers, they take the stage, but as their avatar. And it uses the same technology that you mentioned that ABBA is going to be using on this next, uh, I don't even know, like immersive tour or virtual, it's not even a virtual tour. You're going to go see them. It's just like this experience, I guess, you know, right. <laughs> um, it's, it's a concert. It's a, it's their digital representations, giving a concert at a special stage in London. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, same concept, like where these aspiring singers have their own avatar that they've helped create and they sing their songs as their avatar. And that's what you see on TV. And again, it's called alter ego. And I just question, is this the next kind of like fad in entertainment, you know, when it comes to music and has this been a long time coming or is this also, you know, effects of the last couple of years with COVID, et cetera, where we haven't been able to like meet in person? Did it start out in like this virtual reality world to now link, you know, extending into real world? Well, in Ella's case, I wonder, you know, given that they turned down a B again, a billion with a B dollars to a few years ago to do this, I wonder if it is because of the technology and they just thought, well, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. And maybe they want to see themselves as they were in 1979. Apparently these avatars, you're going to look at the stage and it's going to look like ABBA from 1979 up there doing their thing. And it is completely 3D and, and the Industrial Light and Magic that created the visual effects also uh, were nominated for an Oscar for the work that they did on um, Star Wars. The Last Jedi, I believe, is the, is the movie. So they're very, very good at what they do. So Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, would love to go and see it. Yeah. <laughs> if I was in London, I would be there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. That's what we got this week. Up next is Real Life with Dr. Leslie Marshall, emergency medicine physician and certified parenting educator. Well, the holiday seasons are unbelievably already upon us, and we know that uh, November, December is a time of year for giving and for, for gratitude and for generosity. But for kids, it's also a time of year for instant gratification. Dr. Leslie Marshall is going to talk through with us how as parents we can teach our kids more about the spirit of generosity and really lean into that during the holiday season. Leslie, welcome. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about being here. It's going to be fun. It's a, it's a great topic and probably not just for this time of year. I think really it's something that we need to kind of hold at the front of mind and present throughout the year. It's hard, but I think that's probably the bigger, the bigger message here. What are some practical ways that we can lean into that to really have kids stop and think not just about what they are excited about receiving, but 
understanding and practicing the spirit of generosity? Well, I think the, the bigger picture is to try to steer away from the idea of things and more about what we're grateful for as a family. And it's a practice. It's an intention that we have to bring to our everyday life, our everyday rituals to understand and bring the sense that I am enjoying this moment with you. So if we look to be grateful for them, you know, and what we have with them, if we're living it and embodying it, I think that comes out um, as a better lesson than having sit down instructions or, mm-hmm. or lessons along those lines. So I think maybe since people have rituals and things that they do regularly, whether it's around food or it's around activities, that we are approaching them not as a must do, I have to, I've got to get through the, the list of what we do all the time during uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or you know whatever we're celebrating, but look at it as opportunities to be with our kids and that we are enjoying it and we're feeling that this is a wonderful experience that we're having with them. How do you kind of explain, you know, the the dynamic of kids at school that may not be getting all the things that your home can can bring or the on the other hand, <laughs> the homes mm-hmm. that can afford a lot more and still keep that magic alive without kind of, you know, stepping on that that childhood, you know, memory and the nostalgia that comes with like all the traditions of of the holidays. I think there's just too much overload and if you're starting that way when kids are very young, mm-hmm. that in our culture, the expectation is, okay, now outdo yourself. Exactly. What are you going to do next Christmas mm-hmm. and the next Christmas and my birthday? So I think it's not so much that you're starting, you know, small, but let's just be, be real about what children at that age really enjoy. They like you being on the ground with them. They like you playing and they like spending time. You are their most favorite toy. You know, in whatever scenario, you're their most favorite toy. So if you can get down and pare down the stuff and amp up the people and the relationships, I think that's that's the way to go. My daughter, Nia, who's now 16 and driving and a junior in high school, Christmas, maybe nine years ago, we're driving and we come up to a stop stoplight and there was a, a place there where some, someone was panhandling. They had a sign out. And I was very much in the mode of, you know, don't look, don't engage. And we were at the very front. She goes, mama, but the sign, it says he's homeless. And I was like, yeah, I know, but we're not going to do anything. But mama, it says he's homeless. That's an opportunity. I didn't take it immediately, but that's an opportunity to say yes and to have that conversation. And we did because she's a very insistent kid. She goes, but, but why can't we help him? You have money in here. You can give him something. And so... We have to challenge ourselves mm. about our own generosity and how we think of things. And we have to embrace opportunities where our kids are naturally being generous and curious and wanting to help and having mm-hmm. compassion and augmenting those things. Being aware of those, those teachable moments, those micro moments that are built into your day, really all year round, but especially over the holiday season. As you were talking, Leslie, I was thinking, you know, a lot of, I think for me, when I, our girls were little, a lot of it was that. I would get caught up in the excitement of giving them gifts. It's just Mm -hmm. fun, right? It's fun to create magic, right? right? And so I think that can be a little bit of a challenge for parents because in the process of creating all this magic, you're also leading kids to think that the world is maybe different than it is for for most people. And, And so one other thing I just wanted to point out is that it doesn't have to be just during the holiday season that we do these intentional practices of gratitude, of helping people who are less fortunate, of volunteering, of having those conversations. I feel like if you do those throughout the year, then it's an easier and more natural conversation to keep at the forefront during the holiday yeah. season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree entirely. And that's the teachable moment for the parents is to understand all the time that they are constantly watching us. They are constantly trying to suss out what's important to them because we're their main and primary role models, you know, in the beginning. And they're they're learning whether we're saying it or we're not saying it. We speak volumes with body language. We speak mm-hmm. volumes with tone. We speak volumes with um, where we have a sense of uh, you know we're not going to go there. They know and they learn what you know what the 
no talk topics are. Um, so we have to get some level of tolerance for our own discomfort about topics that our kids are bringing up so that we, number one, ask ourselves the questions, what's my sticking point here? And what do I really want to teach? Because there's always the knee jerk. Where does that come from? Is that really an intentional and reasoned thought that you're behaving this way? Or, you know, is it just something that you've learned from your own upbringing? So, you know, we unpack that a little bit more uh, because she kept poking, saying, I, I don't understand. You know, you, you say this is important. And so, you know, I started going into kind of a knee jerk. Well, sometimes um, there may be drugs associated with people who are panhandling. And sometimes there may be this associated, lots of negative things. And really the teachable moment, you know, that I finally came back to after reflecting is that in anything that you see, we're bringing a judgment. And that's a problem because a judgment is a barrier. So if we're going to bring down barriers, we might be more generous um, in thinking, what is the most generous interpretation of what I'm seeing? So here is a man, a woman standing with a cardboard sign that says, I'm a veteran, I'm homeless, please help. What do I benefit from saying, though he might be a drug addict or he might be this, or he might, this might just be something he does. He might, I know his car is around the corner. The more generous thing is, well, maybe this is a person who is struggling no matter what level. They clearly have greater hardship than I do. What can I do? Mm -hmm. um, so we develop a practice of having food in the car, you know, non-perishables in the car. And also, if we didn't, if, you know, I hadn't been to Costco or something recently to have stuff in the back, she goes, what do you have in your bag, mama? What do you have in the car? And we would just give it because really what's lost? Really, what's lost? Exactly. We have to be doing this all year round. Absolutely. I couldn't mm -hmm. agree with you more. And I think that the younger you start, the better, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's difficult because kind of leaning into Sue's point earlier, being the gift giver as a parent is magical and you get such fulfillment from it. And then there's the thing that you want your children to have and more magical childhood than you did, right? You always want to evolve, right? Like <laughs> you want each generation to evolve. So not only is it you, it's also other family members that you might not want to um, dim their light at all and their excitement, right? But how do you have those conversations with friends and family that also want to give to your children? And, you know, maybe it is in the form of that tangible gift, but like, you know, how do you talk to them about that? Because I think that it, it kind of extends past your you know, nuclear family. You could say, I, I love you for that. I appreciate it. But can you hold on to that for her birthday? And I think another thing is you want to make magic for your kids. And that's wonderful. I'm in that same category, but you can also start young helping your kids make magic for someone else. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, especially with younger kids, making something is fun because they get three, four rewards with it. They get time with you making it together, the brainstorming. You're accessing their creativity and curiosity. And then they get to give it and watch the other person. And they love that. They love that as much as we like love them opening up gifts. So those are great opportunities as you're planning magic for them, include them in a way that they can be starting to plan magic for other people because that gets them outside of it's about me or us as kids. And there's a wider generosity. We're Cuban background. So it, it is, it's in the spirit of giving this, like having those conversations can be hard because it's like, how dare you? I want to spoil my grandchild. Like that's what, the, that's what right. grandparents all about. Right. <laughs> so right. it's almost like, and, and you want... You don't want to dampen their spirit of generosity. Exactly. Because, yeah, right. so it is. It's it is a fine line to to draw. But I think Leslie, you know, the way you explained it was great. And also, like, take this spirit of generosity and spread it out a little bit throughout exactly. the year. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because those that. are those are amazing moments. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm in someone else's mind and heart. Mm -hmm. That's really the basis of what feeling connected, feeling loved, feeling a sense of belonging. That's where it all comes from. Fundamentally, we are neurobiologically hardwired for connection. We are mm. social people and that's the fundamental of our health, of our wealth, well-being, of our survival is that we make and maintain connections. Going back to the idea 
of parents, grandparents want to give. Sometimes I'll just scale back what I'm giving. Well, I know because those conversations are hard and I'll scale back what I'm doing and put my stuff aside for random gifts later in the year. So that's another another um, thing to think about. Do you have any family exercises of gratitude and giving that maybe they can practice at Thanksgiving dinner or Friendsgiving dinner? It's not completely on point, but it's useful. We used to have regular family meetings. It was kind of the way to kind of include and teach and develop a sense of connection with our kids from very young. And we conducted it kind of like, you know, sort of a business. I mean, there was an agenda. We talked about schedule stuff. But before we got into the kind of nitty gritty of that, we would start with going around the room, everyone, you know, in the household. Um, and if we had visiting parents or grandparents, we would include them too, to say compliments and appreciation. So it was thinking of kind things that you had noticed from someone else in the family and making a comment about it. And so what did I notice Dylan doing this week? What did I notice, you know, Kathleen doing this week? And uh, that I thought was generous, kind, and that I appreciated it, even if it didn't benefit me directly. Oh my gosh. Oh. Acts, acts of honorable mention. I love yes. this. This is great. This is great. We're doing this. We're doing exactly. this this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it really makes you pay attention and encourages mm-hmm. your yes. kids to get in that mindset of paying attention for the and looking for the good instead right. of just looking for the, the irritants, which is, right. I think, where the human spirit tends to go, especially amongst right. siblings, is to look for the irritant. And you just reminded me, Leslie, when our kids were young, we did a gratitude jar. And throughout the year, we would write on a slip of paper just things that went well. Things that, you know, a prayer answered or, or um, a friendship made or something that was resolved that, you know, just was a, a good thing in our lives. And then at the end of the year, we'd go back through the jar. We didn't do it every year, but we did it a few years. And it was kind of fun because it makes you realize all the things that go right mm, in the previous yes. 12 months. I and love so, that. I'm jotting this one down. I like yeah, that too. <laughs> That's another yeah. idea for you. I mean, and there's, there's a lot of science um, around that now. Um, you know, a lot of people knew it already, being grateful and showing and having a sense of appreciation and gratitude did good things for your mind and spirit. Mm -hmm. But uh, many other people needed to have modern science put their their stamp on it with their, you know, with with studies that show the benefit, you know, clear well-being benchmarks and benefits that have improved, that have improved with expressing, noticing, and taking the time to be appreciative and to be grateful. Being proactive and deliberate about appreciation and gratitude has enormous uh, reverberations personally back to yourself and also to anybody who is in regular contact with you. Mm. Awesome. Intention, intention, mm-hmm. intention. Awesome. Thank you, Leslie. Hey there, we hope you're enjoying the show. Do you work for a company or brand that wants to empower women? We're looking for sponsors for the We Get Real AF podcast. Reach out to us at wegetrealaf at gmail.com for more information. You can also show your support by finding the We Get Real AF podcast at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Moving on to Profesh Sesh with Elisa Walters, our professional recruiter and talent specialist, where we talk all things career development. Well, there is a new way of working going around the world right now post-pandemic, and it is called becoming a digital nomad. And so many people working remotely, um, a lot of folks, myself included, are thinking, well, if I'm remote anyway, why not try living in a different city or a different country and doing the same tasks via my laptop that I take with me? So today, Elisa is going to talk with us about some of the things you should consider as a professional, um, whether this fits in your wheelhouse, whether it's something you can give a try. And then we also have, um, during our Anything Goes segment, a digital nomad giving her firsthand perspective 
on what it has been like for her. So Elisa, welcome. And tell us some of your initial thoughts about this digital nomad lifestyle that's becoming so popular. Yeah, I think, you know, from an initial standpoint, I am a bit of a nomad myself. So being able to work from a location that doesn't require being in an office environment, that appeals to me on so many levels. So the fact that more and more people have had the opportunity to do this, given the circumstances uh, from COVID, I do think that if, if done right, you can set yourself up for success and be able to take advantage of new environments and cities. And I want to caveat that it doesn't just have to be going to a new city or going to a different country. Being a digital nomad could mean that you stay exactly where you are, but maybe you're in a co-working space or a public place like a public library, or you are going to different coffee shops. So what it means, as long as somebody is set up with telecommunications technologies that they can successfully do their work with a strong Wi-Fi connection and their laptop location aside, they get to work independent of that office environment. Alisa, mm-hmm. what would your advice be to, you know, I think entrepreneurs have a little more flexibility because they create their own schedule and they have usually their own companies so they can do what they'd like, what works best for them. But for people who work for small businesses or for larger organizations, how do they approach that with their employers? Like, what's the best way? Because I feel working with someone who does work for another person, that there's still, even in today's world, even after everything we've been through, there's still hesitancy. There's still that, I, you know, they're going to look at me different if I ask for time off. Um, oh, we, we have that, like, what I don't know if it's called unlimited PTO or whatever, but, you know, I don't want to be the exception. I don't want them to, to think that they're making an exception for me. So-and-so didn't do it. And like, so there's this comparison thing. And then there's also this, like, how is it going to be perceived in the office? What is your advice for those types of people? Because I, I have a feeling that the person I live with being my husband is not the only one, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if this is, if this is something that you're planning on doing, um, number one, I think the entire world has proven that they can work remotely in the past two years. Um, So, and, and has been able to be successful with it. And people who, who thrive in being in office have had to figure out how to pivot. I think that if you are in a situation where this is something that is, it has been on your mind, you've been wanting to give this a try. Like a lot of things that we talk about on this, on this podcast, number one, you need to put a plan in place um, and how you are going to approach your employer. Um, You want to come to them with the solution already, that this is something that you're planning on doing. You already work from home um, or remotely. You are planning to uh, travel to a different country and you want to you want to give this a shot. And here's what you've already you've already solved for, whether it's a time zone difference, you know, if there's concerns about, hey, you know, the the company doesn't want you working on an open Wi-Fi connection. Hey, I'm going to set it up on a VPN. Make sure that you're getting clear about what the plan is that you're going to solve for and try to get ahead of what your, your manager might have concerns about and be prepared to address them. Um, I think in addition to that, you want to look at your health insurance, your travel insurance. You want to look at your, your bank accounts and credit cards, all of those logistics, you also want to be mindful of um, and, and how you're going to set that up. But I do think that when it comes to your employer, you want to come with that plan in place. And I think that if your company has issues with this and you've already been successful in doing your job remotely, and this is something that you're passionate about and you want to set into place, then maybe you put a time frame on it. Hey, listen, Let's try it for a month and see if there's any issues on either end. And if it continues to prove that I'm able to do this successfully and you're not feeling any any stress from my working remotely in this digital nomad life, then we we revisit what that looks like from there. Um, But maybe you set a timeline, start with 30 days, and then maybe you extend that into three months, but come with a plan both a plan for yourself and a plan that you're solving for, for your employer. You know, my husband and I actually did that for ourselves. We are in Spain right now in Barcelona, which is an amazing city. Got here two days ago. 
Um, and our plan is to be here for the inner month working remotely. And when we decided we wanted to become digital nomads or try out this lifestyle, we decided to try it for one month in a city where it, it wasn't too different in so many ways that it would end up being a struggle. Our number one priority was to find a place that had excellent Wi-Fi and internet to just see how disciplined we could be working and getting all the things done and still being able to, to see and explore. And it's, you know, it's only been 48 hours, so we're very early on, but I think we're already settling into a groove. And I mean, our first day here, we put in a, a solid eight hour workday and, and there's a benefit and our listeners will hear about this later on when they hear from Vanessa's sister, Veronica, who's also digital nomading right now. When you have a time difference, that's really helpful too. I mean, I'm up at seven in the morning, it's the middle of the night back in the States. And so I'm able to get a lot accomplished before the folks that I work with back home are even awake. And my husband's clients, he's an attorney. Um, his clients are international anyway. So he's, he's used to having to kind of plan for that with meetings and time changes and things like that. So I definitely think now's the time. It just does seem like the world understands that we can, most of us who have computer-based jobs can perform our jobs reliably. And if we're reliable from our houses or apartments, we should be reliable anywhere as long as we have good technology. Mm, I completely agree. Sue and I worked at the same company for anybody that's listening who hasn't heard that before, uh, before we um, started our own. And we're very like-minded and very pragmatic. And we would talk about it all the time, like that we could do our job that we would do in the office anywhere, really. And just having that flexibility and that agency over your schedule to do what works for you to, I mean, take a walk in the middle of the day. And if that walk is around your neighborhood or in the square in Spain, in Barcelona, (laughs) where Sue is, um, you know, why not? Why not? And again, we had a great conversation with my sister, Veronica, who again is digital nomading throughout the States right now, United States. She, she made a very interesting comment, which you'll hear later, but it was kind of like the everyday stressors don't feel as big because you have something to look forward to. Oh, okay. This meeting didn't go the way I thought that person was, you know, being special, <laughs> what have you, mm-hmm. but you're like, you know what? Later, I'm going to get to go horseback riding in the canyons or whatever. It's something to look forward to and it's an experience. And it just makes all these little things that become big when it's the only thing that you're thinking of kind of go away into the background. It certainly puts it all in perspective. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I'm of the school of thought that it's easier to ask for forgiveness And I do think that if you are a remote employee in your current situation and you decide that, you know, maybe you're living in California and you want to go explore somewhere on the East Coast temporarily, um, that at this stage of the game, what is stopping you from getting on a plane and going if you don't have to be in an office mm-hmm. and you're going to still sign on within the hours that you're expected to and your your job is going to get done you know i've been working remotely for a long time and uh prior to the pandemic if i got on a plane and went back to the east coast and i had a one on one with my boss and it it was happenstance that it sh- it came up in conversation she didn't care. She wasn't, you know, she's like, Oh, you know, like how long are you going to be with your mom or how long are you going to be there? And that's amazing. And, you know, it's, if, if it's not interfering with your work and you are a remote employee, then you have the freedom to do that. And if it's asking for forgiveness later, I mean, maybe that's not the best advice to be giving right now, but there's a lot of freedom that comes with being a work from home employee where you you shouldn't have to feel like you have to ask for permission. I think that you know if you are going to be in a situation where Sue you're you're up in the in the early morning where it's the middle of the night over here, that's a conversation that needs to be had. Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I just want to let you know here are the things I've already solved for. Um, and if it becomes an issue down the line, let's figure out how we can solve for it. But I don't think that if you are already in a work from home environment and you are already set up to be able to do your job, 
I do think that there's some freedom that goes along with that, that might make that transition a little bit easier. Now, if you are in an office, that's obviously going to look a little bit different in that conversation or the expectation that you do have to go into an office on occasion. But I do think that there's a lot of freedom in in this way of, of work. And if anybody comes back and says, well, you know, we don't find that you're as productive if you're not in an office. I mean, that that's quite frankly, BS, because we've all proven that we can be productive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do, I, you know, I just want to drive that point home. And then, so you hit the nail on the head where you end up going and choosing to start. And maybe that's in your planning process of where you're thinking of going, what countries, um, what states, wherever it might be, you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up to land in areas where you have strong Wi-Fi connection. Um, and that's never an issue that you're in Zoom meetings, that your call is always dropping. I mean, that's where your your boss is not going to be happy. So you want to make sure that that's all solved for so that they don't feel it on their end in those Zoom meetings or, or whatever the case might be. I think everybody's gotten a little bit understanding of the fact that when you are working from your home office, hey, there's there's things going on. There might be a lawnmower outside your window or a dog who might be whimpering who needs to go out. But you want to make sure that you're you're creating a transition that's going to be seamless, that your your coworkers and your boss do not feel it. Mm-hmm. Well, you just want to be professional, right? No matter where you're working from, you want to comport yourself professionally and and respect your coworkers and your team so that nobody feels like they have to do the heavy lifting. But I do think that, again, we've all learned to think differently about what work looks like and what work has to look like. I think, Vanessa, you brought up a great point about um, when you when you sort of try a brand new way of, of living your life, it does put your stressors into perspective. It, and, you know, I think we all just need that, especially after the the past 18 months that we've had. I think we all need sort of that shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's the shot in the arm that we all should be getting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I That's see that. You're so punny. <laughs> 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 anyway, but I do, I just think it's, it really is. Um, it just makes you appreciate what you have. It, I think it makes you more flexible, more nimble, more creative, and all those things will carry over into your work as well, I believe. Yeah. And Elisa, I guess from your perspective on a professional note with with companies, I know with certain benefit packages, some companies offer like after you've been with a company for X amount of years, and usually it's five plus, right? Um, You'll get an extended length of time off, right? Which time off and working remotely is a little different, right? You don't have to sign in and all of the things. However, wouldn't it be great if it was just standard, right? Where you could work wherever and have that quality of life throughout your normal day. And then when you get that sabbatical and get to explore someplace where you don't have to log in, that's just an extra thing. But like, wouldn't it be an amazing thing that you offer that to your employees really at the end of their workday every day? for a month or two or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think it's an interesting point, especially here in the U.S. Companies aren't legally required to offer a PTO package or anything of that nature. And we probably are a country that doesn't maximize the benefit of PTO in general, um, which is money that's being left on the table um, as part of your paycheck. But when people have the opportunity to step away or have a staycation, um, their statistics show that people are happier in their jobs. It, it actually leads to promotions and longevity with a company. So it would be in a company's benefit to provide something that allows somebody to have a little bit more freedom um, in their personal life, because I think that it's going to make that employee a better employee from a holistic perspective in their job. So I, a company can only benefit from being able to provide benefits <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word, um, such as that. Yeah. Sue, I think that you should do a video where you're comparing European things to, to U.S. things. I think those are always fun to watch. You could do something like, uh, you know, like the siesta that happens during the day where it's like siesta in Spain. 
and then siesta in in the U.S. and it's like you're sitting at your computer typing away. <laughs> that is so but, true. Well, it's it's so funny that you say that because I think one of the the downsides of people working from home during the pandemic when we were all quarantining is is drawing those lines in the sand about when my workday ends and mm-hmm. my personal time begins. It's hard to do that when you're in the same apartment or home office month after month after month. And so I think having something to look forward to at the end of the day, and again, Veronica touches on this in a little bit, really helps you get what you need to get done and have something to look forward to and draw those lines and find them again. Because we don't have those boundaries that we had when we were going into an office and we knew we had to get out by X time to you know get into the commute because it was going to take us 45 minutes. And we just don't have those kind of de- lines of demarcation anymore. And I think that's taken a toll on, on mental health. That's for a, a great lot of point. Folks. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to say too is you know, the the thing that sort of triggered David and me doing this was we just read an article somewhere that um, Airbnbs, as the com- countries, as the world is opening back up, Airbnbs were offering tremendous discounts on extended stays because they were trying to encourage tourism again. And we looked at each other and we thought, well, if we give up our apartment in downtown Raleigh, which was a pretty expensive, nice apartment we could take that money and we can go anywhere in the world and live for a month at an Airbnb with great Wi-Fi, and have all these other experiences. And, and so again, this is a time for us all to think about life and work differently than we've ever really had. It's unprecedented, our ability to do that now. And so I just encourage people to, to do that. I mean, you may not have a job where this suits you right now, or you may have more complicated family dynamics where that's not possible right now, but don't write it off because I, at some point, if you have the opportunity, even the the shimmer of an opportunity to try it, I just really encourage everybody to do so because I think it's wonderful. Mm. All right, Sue, we'll paint the picture for us. Where are you staying in Barcelona and describe the beautiful square that you were talking to us about this morning? Yeah. So we looked at several Airbnbs in Barcelona and we ended up settling on one that is, is in the Gothic quarter. So it's the very oldest part of this beautiful romantic city on the water. And I wake up in the morning and there's little pigeons cooing (laughs) under my balcony and the church bells in the, in the square nearby are ringing. And, and we have a square that's just, um, you know, a few yards from the Airbnb that's rimmed by cafes and, live music in the evenings. And it's just very, very different from, you know, the city that we lived in before, which is Raleigh, North Carolina, which is wonderful in its own way. Um, We're right on the water. Everything's very walkable here. That was something else we really wanted to not have to worry about a car, driving, traffic, all those things. We wanted to just really try to simplify as much as possible. And so again, because of the time change, I'm able to get up in the mornings, go for a run, really just sort of explore and experience the city before anything's really happening back in the U.S. And then I can sit down for a few hours and and knock out some work. And it's just, it's a whole reset. It really is. Um, and I think it's going to be great for us. Again, only day two. We have a lot of things that we want to see and experience here, but um, I have a feeling this month is going to go really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As all good things do, right? Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited for you and David that you get to really lean into this opportunity um, of of digital nomad life and experiencing uh, a beautiful culture outside of your own Mm -hmm. and, you know, enjoy it again. And Veronica says this too, one life in this vessel that you're in right now, one life. So live it, do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you're an empty nester, I will say we have three daughters and they're all coming to visit us. So (laughs) if you want to get your kids to, to come visit you. (laughs) absolutely that's a great way to do it (laughs) go someplace cool and all of a sudden (laughs) you have company which is wonderful too yeah well before um before we wrap this conversation up if i may just present some resources and different types of jobs um that if somebody is in a situation where their current company they know that this isn't an, um, an opportunity that they can explore but perhaps they would make a transition into a new role that would allow them to do that. 
Um, I just want to list off a couple of jobs uh, and, and areas you might have more success with being able to do this. Obviously, being your own boss and an entrepreneur, software developers, website designers, customer service, if you are blogging or YouTubers. Um, so those are a couple of big ones where people can uh, marketing, SEO, social media, all of those things teaching a foreign language. Those are all different hot jobs that are that are uh, pretty popular amongst digital nomads. And then if this is something that you are thinking about and, you know, need some, some help in, in implementing this plan, um, there's a couple of books that I would recommend. Um, I love Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. Um, he has some great pointers of how to really maximize your day in, in four hours to be able to get all of your work done so that if you are a digital nomad, you have all this, this extra free time that you can really um, explore other things. Um, and then Jason Freed, or Jason, I think it's Jason Freed, he has two books about remote work. One is called Remote, um, No Office Required, and one is called Rework. Um, and I think that they're those are two authors that have really written extensively and, and have, can provide some really great tools. And then I think when we did our Instagram live, um, so you had brought up the website remote, remote.co. Uh, that's a great resource that can provide some tips. And then there are other, there's a weworkremotely.com for its community building and then uh, the working traveler. Uh, it's a website. So those are just some places where you can find additional resources, um, people who break it down in all aspects, not just how you go about this from an, a, from a, an employee standpoint, but where to live, how to build community, how to, um, how, to, how to actually get paid when you're living in a different country um, and, and all of that good stuff. So um, just some extra, uh, extra information for you uh, if you are serious about doing this. Great resources. Thank yes. you so much, Elisa. Thank you for sharing as always. All right. Time for Anything Goes, where we talk just about anything. Well, as the world and humans of the world have gained this new quality of life with the, what I call the silver linings of the last couple of years um, with COVID and working remotely and hybrid working, Sue and I thought it would be a cool idea to have a digital nomad episode. And it comes and stems from the fact that Sue decided to go to Spain and work <laughs> from Spain for the month of November. And then my sister um, has actually been traveling the U.S. via like a car, right, Veronica? Um, and my sister, her name is Veronica Horta. She's joining us as well on this episode of Anything Goes. Uh, so again, Veronica is currently in Moab, Utah. Sue is currently in Barcelona, Spain. So we're all living vicariously through them right now. Um, and we're just going to dive into digital nomad life, what that means and how you can possibly do it if that's something that interests you and how that has increased quality of life and just human experiences, et cetera. So Sue, tell us, you arrived to Spain just a few days ago. Yes. Are you over your jet lag yet? I am. Today's my, today is my second day in Barcelona. First of all, welcome Veronica, kindred ah, gypsy spirit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thrilled to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Um, but yes, I've been in Spain for 48 hours in Barcelona and I already know that we're going to love it. It's so beautiful. I have been to Spain, but I've never been to this city. And just knowing that we have a month to really try living like locals and explore and experience and settle in is really special for me. So Veronica, you're doing a little differently. You're stateside and you're doing the driving digital nomad thing. So tell us about yes. what that's like. I mean, that's, it's funny because I've never done so much of the state side. I've always gone abroad. So this is like a very different experience, but also really special because obviously I live in the United States. I was born in the United States and it's just so, it's so nice to like actually see my country. I feel like I know so many other countries better than my own, but this has been very unique. So, I mean, yeah, I guess in a nutshell, um, I was in a really good circumstance as far as uh, work. I can't say, you know, a year ago, if you would have told me at my last job, 
uh, I would be doing this. I would say there's no way because I know that the opportunity wouldn't have been there with a, the job I had then. Um, but that's a whole other piece getting out of toxic work cultures and all of that. Stuff. <laughs> but um, once I did move on from that job and I got this new job, um, this job was still really, you know, following these COVID, you know, just safety measures. That's my cat back there. Very authentic here. Um, <laughs> so they're, they were following, they're still following safety measures and they really were open to this, like no need to come back to the office until next year kind of thing. Um, granted, I didn't know that when we planned the trip, but, um, that's kind of, I, I already knew that I was going to be able to, to, um, be remote and do what I'm doing. So yeah, I guess it was just, um, a conversation we were having, my partner and I, and we were at dinner one night, just kind of talking through the groans and moans of what are we doing? Why are we working every single day just to make money, to pay rent, to buy groceries? Like it just felt like this vicious, awful cycle of life, which I don't want to be depressing, but once you re- we realized it, it's like kind of the, the truth. You speak it into existence and you can't take it back. We were like, well, what do we do to change that? Like, we have a lot of opportunity right now. We did talk about going abroad, but we knew um, that would be difficult with work uh, just because you can't be abroad, you know, working for long periods of time. You have to have visas and all that stuff. Um, So then, you know, my partner said, well, why don't we just check out the States? And I'm like, you say go. I'm already planning. Like for me, I'm ready to go. Um, And so, yeah, we just, that was the conversation. And I kind of just kept being like, Hey, are we doing that thing? Hey, are we doing that thing? And before we knew it, we started putting things into motion. My apartment was ready to be renewed and I didn't renew it. And as soon as I did that, it was just kind of one thing after the other. It was just planning. We started pulling out a map. What do we want to look at? What's our, what is it that we need to see before the winter happens. We kind of started planning that way. So from New York City, we just have been going northwest. We've been hitting perfect timing, missing snowstorms along the way. And just now we're headed down the coast, the West Coast, and kind of doing those, the four states, the four corners right now. But we're going to head back to my parents for Thanksgiving, which are in California, and then head our way back. But we're two months in now. And I mean, the moral of the story is the cat's out of the bag. We already knew we could do work from home. And not only are we doing work from home full-time, I mean, my partner is a full-time senior benefits analyst for her job. So it's not like we're sitting here goofing around, like she's on full-time, I'm working full-time. And, you know, we, luckily we have the time difference in our favor. We get time back. So we start earlier, we get a couple hours back at the end of the day. So we get to do some things at the end of our workday, but we use our weekends to explore. And then usually our Sunday is a travel day. And it's just like working out honestly, really well. Like I can't say there haven't been bumps on the road, but they're all part of the experience, but we've been doing it. I couldn't feel more lucky to just be getting a paycheck, but also living my life, not feeling, you know, handcuffed to a desk and doing the motions of this thing that we already know now we don't have to be doing. Um, And it's going to be really hard to go back to something like that if I have to ever. And hopefully I can change that frame of mind. And maybe we won't ever have to do that. Uh, but we'll see my, my, my company is pretty flexible right now. And I think that they have that mindset. So hopefully they adopt that permanently. We're taking advantage of the opportunity while we can. How was it received? Did you go to your boss or whoever you report to and say, um, I'm, I wanted, I'm going to be going out on the open road and working remotely from lots of locations. I mean, did you feel like you had to make that known? And if you did, how was it received? Well, I, you know, there are some circumstances as well. So they were aware that I had, you know, there was an obligation for me to be splitting myself up to see family. And it was honestly a conversation that did not feel uncomfortable, which was great. Not like my last job. Mind you, another thing I had in my favor, which I I hope this is the case for everybody. They can talk to their, you know, HR department or their managers comfortably with this kind of, you know, information, but I had just started the job. So part of my starting was, you know, we're flexible. We have no return to office policy. And I said, well, I can, I can tell you now when that does 
become a thing and there's something put in place, I won't be able to return until about, and I gave them like a two month window. I was like, maybe April or June. I'm not sure, but this is like basically when I will be able to come back full time to the office in New York. Um, and that wasn't a problem. Um, and you know, I just had a chat with HR and it was comfortable. Um, but you know, I'm not sure that would be the case for everybody. And I hate that I even have to put that stipulation in there. I hope that anyone can just say that, especially now that we have all experienced this together. And if someone said, Hey, like what would have been, you know, these little things. And this, I was thinking about this this morning, the heart attacks, being in the office, just having a doctor's appointment and being like, oh my God, I have to get on the train and um, I'm going to be an hour. Should I say two hours? Oh, that's too much time. Like they're going to say two hours. You're going to be out of the office. And you know, you have that like anxiety that we all now at home are getting our work done. No one really knows when you're stepping away for an hour or two hours, you're still doing what you're doing. Obviously you're going to tell people, Hey, I'm blocked during this time, but it's not even close to the same kind of stress and anxiety you would experience when you would have to look someone in the face and say, I have to leave this office. And then they see you come back in. It was like a very awful feeling again, very toxic. So with that said, you know, I feel like being able to do something like this, hopefully would not have that same reaction. If someone went to their, their, you know, manager and said, Hey, I'm having surgery versus let me just take three days to recover. Can I have two weeks and I'll work remote during the time I recover? You know what I mean? Like, I hope it's a very different conversation. Well, Veronica, you've touched on um, mental health a little bit here, but I'm going to kind of lean into this. And you mentioned in previous jobs, even the one that you had before this new one that's allowed you this flexibility having different stressors, not just even these appointments, but other stressors, right. That come with toxicity and all that. What type of work-life balance dig into that and mental health benefits have you acquired in just the short two months that you've been able to do this thing that you're doing right now? I mean, like every job has its stressors. Toxicity is a something I'm hoping I'm learning a little bit more what my boundaries are to be able to establish them and walk away faster if they're not being met. Um, and I think I did that the last job and now I'm kind of set, setting myself up in a way that I hopefully can continue to do that even more and more. Um, but with that said, you know, there's still stress at my job. And what's amazing is how little focus there is on it when you know at the end of your day, mm. you're like, okay, oh, this meeting's running over. But then you like finish your meeting and you're like, oh, let's go explore the Canyonlands now. There's always something to look forward to. It's a different feeling because those things that you would harp on, because all you're doing is waiting for the train that now you miss because you're late because you were at work and all you're doing on the train is huffing and puffing and literally just sitting in all of the post-work crap you just dealt with. And then you go home just to be mad that all you have time to do is cook dinner, take a shower and go to bed and repeat it, you know, like, or even going into work too, right? Like the whole sitting and the commute to work, like you're running behind, like you're already starting your day with a ball of stress before you even get into the work, right? The commute itself, again, I just keep saying it, the cat's out of the bag. We cannot unknow this. It is very difficult for everyone to just go right back. And I'm so curious to see how that's going to work because even the people that are like, yeah, I want to get back to the office. I, I experienced it at my last job when people started coming back to the office and they were the ones that were like, I'm just so ready. And, you know, of course, everyone's ready for human interaction. There's a social piece of working with people in an office. It's very, very, you know, important and it's really beneficial. But they would come back. And then after like two weeks of doing it, they're like, I'm like, hey, I'm like writing them on our like Slack groups. Like, I haven't seen you. I thought you signed up to come back to the office. Yeah, the commute's really like taking up my time now. And I'm I'm realizing I'm not getting enough done. And I'm like, but there's also a piece of that that's a little bit skewed too now because we're doing too much from home. But anyway, that's another conversation. Lots of elements here. But <laughs> it's funny that that's like people that were just like roaring to come to the office were just like, yeah, the commute sucks. And I'm like, Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. it does. <laughs> yeah. It just the gift of having time back is huge. Mm. 
I want to ask how you are staying organized, because I think that's easier for some people than others. And do you have any like tips or things that you've learned along the way to really organize yourself so that you can make the most of this time and still be as productive as you would be back home? You know, it's, I'm, I'm a planner. Like my passion is like planning events, bringing people together just in personal life. I'm not talking about, I don't get paid for this. I'm talking about, I love doing this. I have a Friendsgiving. I just had a phone call with someone who's like, you're not going to be here for Friendsgiving. What are we going to do? And I'm like, <laughs> I know I'm having FOMO. Um, but what I have been trying to do is not control this too hard because there are going to be some bumps in the road. Right. And so if you're asking about planning the actual, like how to, you know, make use of our time after we're done with work and stuff, we certainly together will arrive at our location, get on a map and decide what we want to see. And we don't plan too hard as far as like, this is the day we're doing this. And this is the day we're doing that. Because first of all, we're not really doing a lot of tour activities with companies or anything like that. We're doing everything really ourselves. Um, so that's helpful, but you know, we, we kind of decide what we want to do. We flag it on our map. And then when the day's over, sometimes, you know, work things happen. Maybe we didn't get out as early as we thought we would. Um, and then we can't do that one thing that's an hour and a half away. So then we just alternate, but like, I think what we've been doing is just planning, like just points of interest. Now we have different sleep schedules, you know, New York city life is very different. And so I'm waking up at six or seven in the morning, depending if we're three hours or two hours right now, we're back at two hours behind. So when we were three hours, I was six or five 30, just to prepare for a meeting at 9am Eastern. So you know, now we're also getting to bed a little bit earlier and kind of everything's just shifting, but so far we're getting it all in, which is awesome. So I just want to point out because not, most people will hear this as opposed to seeing it, but Veronica is also doing this with three cats. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> they're in the video behind yeah. you. They look happy. Like I know. This is the piece I always forget to mention that makes us very unique. We are at we're traveling with our, with our three cats. And is this is a great time for to plug the Instagram accounts for the cats, Veronica. So go yes. for it. Well, our cats' names are Pino, Tobin, and Robin. So one day I was like thinking, if we're going to make a TikTok, what's this name going to be or an Instagram? And we ended up making an Instagram account of the cats with us traveling with points of interest behind them. And the handle's um, Pintobean. So it's P I N. T-O-B-Y-N, because that's how I spell Robin. So it's the names, the three names combined, Pinto Bean. And yeah, it's so hard to keep up with social media. I mean, that's a full-time job. And let me just say this out loud because I've been social media manager as a secondary or third job. It is a full-time job. So please be gentle when you hire a social media person. <laughs> so yeah, yes, employers, social media managers are just as important as your HR manager. It is a full-time job, unless you just want someone to post a picture in between a lunch break. Because if you're looking for followers and if you're looking for traction, that is a full-time job full of strategy and research. 100%. And I'll also add to that, that's not a tack on to, oh, you're you're this position and you'll also take over social media. <laughs> that doesn't really work out very well. I've been in those shoes. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, we're trying to enjoy it, but it's really hard because sometimes people are like, you have to post that. And like, you have to tag, like you guys are so unique. And I'm like, I know, but I literally just want to enjoy the moment. And if I spend my day, yeah, that's a lot of energy started yeah, off guys, doing yeah. that in the car where one of us was driving and being like, oh, what are we? And, and it was like getting really like, intense. And I'm like, we need to just make this something nice and fun when we have time, but we're not focusing on mm -hmm. that. Smart. Totally. Yeah, you really want to make the most of this time. This has been so great to hear yeah. about your experience and what you've learned. And I just, I want to see pictures. I'll, I'll start following Pinto Bean. <laughs> <laughs> not to put pressure on you though. <laughs> Before we let you go though, in just a few short words, if someone's on the fence and they've been contemplating doing the digital nomad thing, maybe three things to get them like going and started and to just inspire them to just do it? I would say use the opportunity now. If someone says, no, that's not possible, really question them. Why is it not? It has been working. Um, and don't be scared of letting go of all of the things that you can control because that's 
part mm-hmm. of this. You have to just start the process of how are you going to fit everything you need into a car or whatever it is you plan on doing with a plane. It's even harder. So I would suggest driving if you can. And then the third thing is to enjoy your life. That's just basic. Like I hate to use this phrase, but when it really sinks in, it really sinks in. You literally only have one life. You have one life. You right now, whoever you are, have one life, whatever your name is. Maybe you come back as somebody else or an animal or whatever, but right now you're one person. That person has this life you get one chance. So are you going to sit here and regret it? You're never going to say, man, I wish I hadn't spent that time planning this. All you're going to do is regret you didn't do it. And I I know that for a fact. So I just say, do it. What about you, Sue? What's your 30 second, like elevator pitch for someone on the fence? Give it a try. Keep Keep an open mind. Give it a try. Similar to what you just said, Veronica, you know, all those things you've always wanted to go do, you should go do them. Just go do them. And then you'll never know if you don't give it a try. Simple. All right. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Bye guys. Thanks for joining us here on We Get Real AF. Make sure you subscribe to the show and text this episode to a friend. Also, we need money, honey. Find us at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting for you. Plus, you'll just feel good. Special thanks to our WeGraph Live events and technical director, Mitchell Machado. You can find Mitchell on LinkedIn, spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-M-A-C-H-A-D-O. And we want to give a big thanks to our podcast sound designer, Sam McLean, that's spelled M-C-L-E-A-N, of InPhase Audio. Thanks for listening.